This is episode 66 of Sustainable Photography. Today, I have Norwegian photographer Tiril Heuan with me. Tiril is also a psychologist who lives with her partner, her two girls, and her gentle giant of a dog. She's a creator and she always wants to keep learning. She thrives when she's on her way to someplace new, both literally and metaphorically. Tiril is a storyteller, but she also works with small businesses. She does online courses and workshops and mentoring, and she develops and sells her gorgeous presets. You're listening to Sustainable Photography, where you get support and education to build your profitable business in a way that supports your way of living. I'm Ingvild Kolnes, and after 11 years as a photographer, I want to share what I've learned with you. So if you're looking for confidence, inspiration, and to-the-point tips, keep listening. For full transparency, I also want you to know that I'm a mentor with paid offers, and I might mention some of those in this episode. Hi, Cyril, and welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Oh, thank you. It's so lovely to be here. Yeah, it's going to be so much fun. And, and the topic that we have decided on is going to be really interesting. But before we get into that, I do want to know more about you and your background. So maybe we can just start there. Yeah, well, I've always, as long as I can remember, had this urge to create. And it's taken me years and years, probably at least a third of my life, to structure this urge into my actual everyday life, into living that feels like me. I grew up in a family where academic achievements were very important. And I decided very early on as a rather depressed teenager that I wanted to be the person who helped people in my place. And so I went on to study psychology for six years until I was a clinical psychologist. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) That's the short version. (laughs) And today I'm very grateful for that education. It's a privilege and one that I would not go without. I use it every day and all the time, just not in the conventional sense. (laughs) And also I loved studying, you know, diving into a topic and reading and writing until it started getting under my skin and making sense and becoming a part of me. But it never made my heart sing in the way that creating a photograph or writing a poem can do. Upon completing my study, I worked as a clinical psychologist for five years, and I worked with kids and their families, and at times it felt meaningful, but most of the time it just broke my heart. I worked in a clinic together with a bunch of incredible people, but I never really managed to become myself there. The job always felt like a mask I put on, and I remember talking to one of my colleagues once and she had this thing she did for fun mainly where she named your animal which basically meant she found an animal which she thought represented you Mm. and she would name you know like eagles and lions and wolves and the general reaction among everyone would be oh that is so fitting no I didn't I think of that and do you know what she named me no (laughs) she named me a wood mouse. Oh, really? Yes. You know those tiny brown mice at the bottom of the, the first floor? Yeah. And honestly, don't believe there was any cruelty in that. But in her animal assessment of me, because she only knew me as that person in those halls, because in that job, I was the image of a wood mouse. 
And so I simply decided I would not spend any more of my life being a wood mouse. Mm, that is very understandable and very interesting what role you must have had there. And the rest, it didn't happen overnight, of course, but the wood mouse thing was definitely a wake-up call. <laughs> like, this is not who I want to be. And so I started doing more and more photography work on the side. I started working part-time. And then finally, when my youngest daughter was born, I quit psychology entirely and started working full-time as a photographer. How did you decide that photography was the right creative outlet for you? Because you could have done anything. Yeah, I don't know. I've often wondered that myself. I'd started sort of doing a bit of it during my study. It was my creative outlet during the long and very theoretical six years of psychology study. So it was already under my skin. Yeah, I already knew how to do it. And so it was just sort of, it was a space where I felt I could be creative and could be me that was already there. So I love photography, but like you say, I could have gone many different ways as well and I might still do <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah because you write as well don't you yes I do that's a work in progress we will see where it takes me yes okay yeah because I think that's such a like a mark of truly creative people is that they can do almost anything because it's like you have so much in you that you can take it in so many different directions and that's really nice yeah that is so true so today I've been a full-time photographer for five years. And like you're saying, I'm always sort of craving something new and I've been expanding my business. It started with just doing like page shoots and then I sort of, well, expanded who uh, take pictures of, but also started doing some work for small businesses lately and teaching workshops, giving online courses. And I sort of, I always need to add something, <laughs> something new. I can only do the same for so and so long. And then I need to add another layer of, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> you probably know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know what you're talking about. But right now, what do you enjoy the most? Oh, I always enjoy very much when I have a shoot and you sort of just find each other when the client is someone you sort of just click with. And everything just flows naturally. We'll talk more about that later. <laughs> yeah. When you don't have to sort of push it, but you sort of, yeah, it happens. It happens. Mm -hmm. And that, I love that. That is sort of what defines the best moments, both in photography, but also in writing. If you have that feeling of being written more than sort of pushing it out, and that's a lovely feeling. Yeah. But you've been doing different things then from starting out as a psychologist to kind of diving into photography and going all in with photography, becoming a full-time photographer. And now you do different kinds of photography and education as well. Yes, I do. You must have been through different stages. And I need to ask you about sustainability because this podcast is all about that. So how does a sustainable business look like to you? When I think about sustainability i typically think of well not just my business but my whole life like getting all the jigsaw puzzles to fit together in a way that that feels good and that does not leave me depressed or depleted and also ideally 
in a way that does not harm or deplete the planet, of course. And this is a huge task I will be working on well, all the days of my life. This jigsaw puzzle right now includes mothering two big little humans and being a partner and living with migraines and living in the city and loving it, but also longing for the country and being about 19% longing in general and, and running a business and balancing between getting enough money in and getting enough room for being creative. And what I found is <laughs> the less I care about a conventional way of building the business, the better. Just do whatever works for you. I've grown up with rather unhealthy work moral, <laughs> where if you can walk or crawl, you go to work and you stay there until the day is done. And this is not a good way of living for someone with migraines or for anyone at all. And I don't want to work like that. And I don't just do not work like that. <laughs> because some days I'm incredibly effective and I can do so much and other days I cannot do anything and that is okay yeah there is no reason why your way of structuring your day should look like anybody else's <laughs> so to me sustainability is closely linked to freedom the freedom to structure your business and the life your life in the way that feels good to you mm, yeah I agree with that so much because I think it's because I'm the same way some days I can move mountains, basically, like I can just do all the things. And then the next day I just can't even move. And when I've had like a normal nine to five kind of job, it's just that's not possible. You're supposed to show up and kind of produce the same amount every single day. And if you can't, then you just start, at least with my kind of personality, you just start feeling bad. And I don't want that feeling bad. So it's a lot easier to just have my own business and just do what I'm able to and just know that I'm always doing my best. Yeah, that is so true. Yeah, and it took me a very long time to realize that. And I'm still struggling with it because I'm so used to think that you're supposed to do this and this and this. Yeah, but it's so important. Yeah. You have created a business that is sustainable to you and you said that it was unconventional. Like you have done the things that are right for you. What has happened for you to become aware of that, to find that right path for you? I don't think there is like one point in time where I realized. I just think that it's sort of grown with me <laughs> through the years. And I've learned more and more about myself and what I need, maybe especially after becoming a mom as well with different priorities. So I don't think there's a exact point in time I think it's more like learning as I go along <laughs> yeah yeah that's a good way of doing it one thing that often uh, well often we're good at sort of giving that grace or that understanding to people around us who we care about but not as good with ourselves and I have close photographer friends so when I've had conversations about this many times and I think that also helps me to sort of well, you're saying this to your friend, so you should uh, use it on yourself as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely true. <laughs> but your background, it's in psychology. So I'd love to know more about your thoughts when it comes to creatives and maybe also photographers, especially when it comes to mental illness. So I want to ask you if it's true that creatives suffer from mental problems more than 
I want to say normal people. <laughs> With quotation marks there. Yes. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. So this is, firstly, I have to say, as far as I know in the literature, there are no studies regarding photographers specifically. Maybe we should do one. Mm, that would be so interesting. Yeah. Yes, it would. I would love that. The studies are usually concerning highly creative individuals in general, measured by personality traits or by occupation. For example, writers have been studied a lot for some reason. And the question here, like most questions within the field of psychology, do not have a straight and simple answer. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so that link between creativity and mental suffering goes all the way back to the ancient Greeks. Aristotle actually made the observation that great creative minds in different fields often suffered from what he called melancholia, which is, yeah, a sort of depression. And in more modern times, the diagnosis that has been most strongly linked to creative is bipolar disorder. And for those who do not know what bipolar is, it's basically the same as what they used to call manic depressive disorder. It includes episodes of intensely elevated mood energy activity. And it also includes depressive or down periods with intense symptoms of despair and sadness and loss of energy, self-doubt, and for some evil, even suicidal thoughts. So... This is like a very compressed version of newer research concerning <laughs> this. And what newer research suggesting is that people who have less severe forms of bipolar illness called hypomania and relatives to those who have full-blown bipolar typically have more creative success than either people without bipolar and those living with bipolar themselves. So according to this line of research, people living close to the fire but not burning will give you elevated creative potential or higher creative ability, which is a contrast to the original thoughts that the bipolar, you know, the suffering, crazy artist kind. Yeah, it's not when you have the whole thing, it's when you're close to it. and. Also, schizophrenia, which is a mental illness that involves psychosis, has been linked to creativity in a similar way, suggesting that people who suffer from full-blown schizophrenia do not have higher level of creative achievements, but people who have some aspects of it, like being slightly prone to psychosis or traits like unusual sensory experiences or, you know, loose associations in the way you think that you sort of jump on associations are more creative than people with actual schizophrenia or people without these things at all. Okay, just have to ask, because you said creative achievement. Does that mean that maybe if you are like a person who actually has one of these illnesses, not just close to it, maybe you still have the creativity, but you don't have the achievement that is measured? Or is that not how? Uh, no, the thing is, I'm getting to it also. Okay. But <laughs> yes, you probably do have the potential 
for being creative, but you cannot use it in the same way because you are overwhelmed and you are and not functioning in the way so you can use that makes sense yes so these are two illnesses very serious illnesses and and we know also know that both of them run in families and high levels of creativity runs in families there's a strong hereditary component yes so the question is how do we explain this <laughs> how do we make sense of this and i just wanted to tell you really quickly about Shelley Carson, which has suggested something called a shared vulnerability model to explain this. And what that model describes is that creative thought processes share genetic factors with some mental disorders, including schizophrenia and bipolar, which allows the creative individual to access altered states of consciousness or states that allows for more creative thought and production. And this altered state of consciousness basically means accessing more sources of information at once in your mind and then being able to combine them in meaningful ways, meaningful creative ways, without being overwhelmed by them. Because that access to information or that state of consciousness can also overwhelm you, which instead giving you the opportunity to be creative can make you sick. And she also suggests that some people will have some traits that protect them and that these traits combined with life experiences determine whether these genes will result in the disorder or some aspects of it, or a less intense version, and thereby more creative ability. The way I understood it is that some people who are close to being bipolar or schizophrenic, they have more creativity that they can actually use mm -hmm. and take advantage of and get somewhere with than those who have full-blown schizophrenia or bipolar disease and people who don't have any of these uh, conditions. Yes. And also they suggest that there are the same genes underlying both. Yeah. Yeah. So you can have the potential of becoming ill or becoming, well, extra creative. So is it either or? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. This is exactly, that's important. Thank you for asking that question. <laughs> Diagnoses, they're not boxes. Okay. We believe there, or, or there's a general opinion that, or many people believe they're boxes. They're not. They're like a uh, line. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then you can have a little bit of it or a lot. And then at a certain threshold, you say, okay, now you have the diagnosis, you have the illness. So it's like a scale yes. from like zero to 10. Yeah. Okay. All these diagnoses are made out of traits that we all possess but in like a smaller amount yes okay yeah okay that makes sense yeah that's really interesting but what about like if you have uh, depression or anxiety are creatives more prone to those things thank you for asking that as well <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about depression because firstly 
depression does not appear to be linked to elevated or higher or more better creative thought. In fact, quite the opposite seems to be the case. Okay. When you are depressed, you are less creative. And this just makes sense. At least if you've ever been depressed. (laughs) Because depression is a black hole. And (laughs) crawling out of it is being creative in that black hole is just impossible. But this, of course, does not mean that you're not able to be creatives in the parts of your lives where you're not depressed. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Because you're not depressed for like your whole life. You can still be a photographer and then have depression or have a depression and then become a photographer. Yeah, exactly. So I have not found any evidence in the literature that suffering from depression in parts of your life is linked to being more creative when you're not suffering from depression. But the thing is, so incredibly many people get depressed. Mm -hmm. That's true. If you put 10 people in a room, One of them will have a depression that needs a treatment needing depression, most likely. It's one in 10. It's so high. And especially, you know, in these times. Yeah. So that means that a great many creative people will get depressed. But being creative does not give you a higher risk of depression compared to less creative people, unless... It's some kind of bipolar depression. Understood. Meaning you go up as well. Yeah. So that's depression. So no, I think it would be, like I said, let's do study. I think it would be incredibly interesting studying photographers to see if they actually fit into the shared vulnerability model to see if there's a significant portion that are genetically close to people with these severe mental disorders or have lighter versions or some aspects or traits because <laughs> and now I'm going way outside the scientific literature and just talking from my own head, experience and mind because I think a lot of photographers possess a kind of enhanced sensitivity to the world around us, both aesthetically or visually. We notice things in the way the world looks that a lot of people, they just don't see them. Like how the winter light paints the kitchen wall or how a certain color just calls out to us. But also, I think, closer to the world, emotionally speaking, like we have a thinner emotional skin. And I think that is part of what makes us good photographers. (laughs) And I also think it's linked to a strong and sometimes overwhelming emotional experience and presence which in my mind fits very well with being genetically related to for example bipolar without experience the whole the full-blown disease yeah yeah because I think that's an interesting aspect of it because I I would say because before we decided to talk about this topic I have thought about doing an episode on something similar to this myself, because I have a feeling, you know, like I just think about myself and the photographers I know that surely there's more mental illness among photographers than others, because I know so many who are suffering from anxiety or who have gone through burnout and all these kinds of things. But it doesn't mean that could just be the people I know are like that. It doesn't have to mean that everyone 
are like that. But I think it's really interesting to hear how you're thinking about it. Because again, not all photographers are the same. But if you are that kind of photographer who is very sensitive to things, then surely this must be very true to them. Like it must feel very relatable. Maybe. I can't speak for others. But mm -hmm, of course. I feel like this fits with a lot of the people I know but I mean everyone is so different <laughs> so it's hard to sort of even to make categories that actually fit it's very hard I mean that's why uh, diagnosis they change all the time because people are so different and it's hard to describe people in a way that makes sense because people are so complicated yeah so the way I'm hearing it is that research is not like completely conclusive because it's research and it's a field where things are developing quickly there's a lot going on and it's not like maths where you have like this is right and this is wrong there's a lot to it and so it's really hard to say give some definitive answers so instead let's just talk about if someone's listening right now and they can relate to feeling the way that you're describing with having thin skin and seeing maybe light and colors in more ways than the people around them can maybe understand. Can you give some advice to them on how to deal with the world? I think that that is such a gift to begin with, being this closeness to the world, but it, is, can, it can also be so incredibly overwhelming. So firstly, just being able to sort of shield yourself when you need it because when you sort of take in so much and have the emotional responses to all these things it's exhausting and it's inspiring if it doesn't exhaust you <laughs> so it's sort of being selective about how you use yourself in the world and also for mental health struggles in general I think it's important to talk about expectations because we live in a world where we're constantly overstimulated by social media and superhero photographers <laughs> who in 95% of the cases show the sunny side of, of their lives. And that is now where life works. Life is hard and life is stressful and there are mountain tops and there are deep dark valleys as there should be and i think it's also so important to just let yourself allow yourself to have hard or boring or unproductive days without beating yourself up about it yeah it's okay to say today i'm not going to be able to do this and i'm going to do something else instead like Right, take a walk or a nap or call a friend or read a book. And also, if you're in that position where you're struggling with accepting that, I find, like I mentioned earlier, it can help a lot. Just asking yourself, what would I say to a friend in my position? Because when you're speaking to someone else that you care about, you will have a lot better answers than when you're just speaking to yourself. Yeah, that's very true. And I think just tying it back to the whole sustainability or having a sustainable business aspect as well, the better you know yourself, the more you know what you need. And then it's important to create a business that 
supports you in what you need. Because if you're a sensitive person and you're forced to work with clients, a lot of clients every single day who expect a lot from you, I would say that you're kind of putting yourself on the fast track to burnout. So you have to know what you need and find a way to work with fewer clients instead of just taking on as much as possible, which is what social media often tells us is the answer. Just like get more clients, more, more, more. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. And I'm I'm so sick of, of this, I don't know, race in social media. This is so many photographers posting on stories always, look at this to-do list. It's like I have 20 things I did today. And and I'm like, we should start posting like to-do lists that are blank. <laughs> because it's that healthy. And, and I mean, who are you doing it for? What is the point? Yeah. And the same goes for photographers who are posting that they're working on evenings and during the night and weekends and like, oh, this is how it is to run your own business. And you're sacrificing basically your whole life to deliver images as fast as possible. And it's like, it's not true that that's how it has to be. It's your business. So you decide how it has to be. Yes, you do. It's like, you're bragging about it. You're bragging about that you're so business. No, sorry. You're bragging that you're so busy that you have to work during the middle of the night. And that's, it doesn't really make sense to me. No. And same with not giving yourself a holiday during the summer because there are so many weddings to shoot. I mean, it's not a good thing that you're fully booked without having any time off. Or, I mean, you have to set some boundaries, especially if you're the kind of person who is struggling with some of these things. Because when I say that I know so many photographers who have gone through burnout, it doesn't mean that all photographers will, but it means that a lot of photographers are overworking themselves. And it means that you have to take care of yourself first. And I think also, especially, again, I think also, especially the combination of both being a creative mind sort of person and also having to do all the business stuff. (laughs) Because I feel like a lot of us, you're not included in this, but a lot of us are really bad at the business part. (laughs) Exactly. And that's exactly why I do what I do, because I've seen that, because I've seen that photographers, I think it's such a shame that the best photographers are often the invisible ones, the ones that aren't making their business run in the best possible way. And my job has been like, okay, I want to make it as easy and simple as possible so that you don't have to worry about that part and you can just focus your time on creating because that's what you do best. It's not what I do best, but it's what you do best. (laughs) So that's been my goal. (laughs) I really love that. Cyril will be right back to talk more about her psychologist's views on photography. But I do want to mention quickly that if you want to improve the business side of your photography business, that you should go check out ingvilkolnes.com. I think we all have different strengths and skills. And I think instead of trying to be the best at all the things, if you can just focus on the things that you do best and that you enjoy the most, I think that's when you're going to have fulfillment and feel your best, which is kind of what we're going to talk about next, because I want to ask you about flow, because you told me that that was one of your favorite topics. So what is flow? Yes. Oh, I love talking about flow. (laughs) The social psychologist, Sheik Mensahali, which I'm not very good at pronouncing. So that's probably not how you pronounce it, but 
He spent years and years researching when it came to term flow. And he wanted to understand what makes people happy. And have you ever, while taking pictures, had the experience of getting completely and utterly absorbed by what you're doing? It's to the extent that you sort of stop noticing yourself and you don't really feel hunger or cold or tiredness at all. And you are one with the process of taking pictures. And when you look at the time, you realize you've completely lost track of time because this is flow. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've been there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And this is one of the things that makes people happy, being in flow. Now, I do not experience flow every time I take pictures, but I do experience it quite often. When I take pictures like of my girls outside during winter in Norway, <laughs> I have to bring my partner along because if not, I'll just keep shooting for way too long, even if my girls are way too cold. <laughs> this is true. And I like to think that under normal circumstances, I'm quite sensitive to their needs. But in flow, that part of my brain just doesn't get any say. <laughs> Flow is when you're doing something you love to do, but also the task demands something of you. It's a task that lets you use your unique qualities and skills, but it is also sufficiently demanding. So I notice that if I sort of keep doing the thing, same thing over and over again, then I lose my flow. I have to add new elements. I have to do it differently. I have to keep pushing myself or yeah, experimenting to actually experience that. And that's very interesting. You have to sort of, yeah, it has to demand something. Yeah, because it becomes too easy if you've done it too much. Or, yeah, okay. Definitely. I think that's one of the reasons why I keep doing new stuff. <laughs> Sheik Mentahali, he believed that the human nervous system cannot process more than 110 bits of information per second. And I have no idea if this is true. But the point is, when you're in flow, you use so much of yourself on your task that there isn't any left for the less vital things, <laughs> like, you know, hunger or cold. <laughs> and I personally feel some of my language disappearing when I'm in flow. Especially if I'm talking in English, which is, you know, my second language. So I often ask the people I'm taking pictures of if I can, like, move them around physically, like, place my hands on them and move them because I'm not able to explain using words what I want them to do, which is very kind of strange because usually I have a lot of words (laughs) because my brain is sort of taken over by the creating. But maybe that would explain why, because I have a really strong fear of heights, like really, really, really scared of heights. But when I take pictures, that kind of goes away sometimes and it becomes a little bit dangerous sometimes, I think, because I have to start becoming very wary of like, where am I? Because I'm normally, I'm very aware of where the ledge is, like I know not to go there. But with a camera in my hand and like a couple to photograph, it's like, I lose some of that fear to the extent that I have to start paying a lot more attention. So maybe it's the same kind of thing where I've just disconnected. Yeah, that is so interesting. That's super interesting. I mean, that could be like a new way of curing phobia. You could introduce flow. (laughs) No, No, that is very interesting. 
it's so weird because it's things that usually it makes sense that we don't forget to like eat or that we don't forget that we're freezing. Sometimes I'm like, I don't feel cold at all. When I get home, I'm like, this is just so I don't really understand why. Or I mean, it doesn't really make sense, like in the evolutionary <laughs> perspective. <laughs> but I guess it does if that process or the the creativity that or the things you create during that process or during the flow if they are so good that they sort of make up for the yeah or if they give it like a really big reward of some kind yeah that hopefully includes like giving you food or something like that <laughs> but yeah it could definitely lead to like dangerous situations mm. yeah that's not so good no i know <laughs> but if someone wants more of it what do you think they can do or if someone has never experienced that does it mean that they're in like the wrong field oh that's a difficult question because i don't think everyone experiences it i'm not entirely sure i don't have numbers on it right now but i've been talking to some friends who do not recognize the experience at all and they do things that make them happy and, and feel meaningful and feel good but they cannot relate to the sort of that immersion or you know yeah that degree of disappearing into the process does not at all sound familiar to them so for me like i said i've always found it when i do things that challenge me so if you're searching for it i would definitely recommend doing something you haven't done before maybe something that feels scary but still feels like I don't know tingling a tiny bit and do that <laughs> and do it your own way that's also incredibly important do not try to, to sort of just try to figure it out yourself like for example when I started out as a photographer I tried so many different things and one of the things I tried was classical newborn photography post and I think I experienced quite the opposite of flow oh okay tell me about the opposite of flow I want to no, no, like. no, it felt horrible it was just you know nothing was working and nothing was flowing and I was like this is just like banging your head against a wall <laughs> it just did not make sense to me at all so I in the beginning, I came to think that newborn photography was my thing at all. I was not going to do any of it. And then I started doing it differently. I started doing it less posed and in home and natural and without props and honest. And then boom, <laughs> there it was, flow. And now natural newborn sessions are, well, they're one of my favorites. And that's an example of how sort of I don't know, chasing flow <laughs> has helped me find my way. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting because you've taken maybe the thing that you dislike the most and by doing some tweaks and doing things in your own way, you've discovered the thing that you enjoy the most. And I think that's probably something a lot of photographers can learn from, like instead of just giving up on something, just tweaking it and doing it in a way that you, with your personality, would enjoy it more. Mm, that is so true. And it's so easy to sort of 
get lost in how everybody else is doing it. And I really believe in just, you know, taking a step back and not just look at stuff other people are creating, but sort of just really think, what do I want to create? What speaks to me? What feels? What do I feel? Yes. How do I want my pictures to feel? I think that's incredibly important. Yeah, I agree. And I think looking at what others do and finding your way of doing things is probably the worst way of doing it because you need to do things your way instead of trying to, instead of thinking that the solution is magically going to come from others' Mm. way of doing it because they could never be you. They don't have your experiences and your challenges and your personality or anything like that. So you need to find your way of doing it. That is so true. You can keep sort of running after them your whole life and just feel horrible. And I'm not, I'm still doing this. I mean, you can look at pictures on Instagram and then you go, I'm just going to put my camera on the shelves because this is, yeah. But put the phone on the shelves instead. <laughs> so I think it's really helpful to hear that even you have that feeling of wanting to give up sometimes because I think I hear that from photographers all the time. I feel like I have to give up. And I guess that means that I should give up because most people don't think like that. But I think. Most people do think like that, that they have like a, no, this isn't working. I shouldn't be doing this anymore. Yes. I think so many of us do. Definitely. All the time. (laughs) Well, there are probably a lot of reasons, but I mean, firstly, we work alone. Mm -hmm. It's a lonely occupation and it's so important getting, creating a, well, a flock, a group of photographers around you that you can talk to. They don't have to be like even in the same city. I mean, they can be anywhere, but just uh, having someone is so incredibly important. When I imagine your listeners in my head, (laughs) there are a bunch of people who work pretty much like I do by myself most of the time. And I don't know if that is the case, but anyway, I think it's very important for them and, and everyone to establish daily routine that allows for pockets of filling your cup time. (laughs) So if you work at home, it's especially hard to prioritize self-care when you get busy. So creating a daily routine that involves some kind of exercise, it doesn't have to be anything fancy, just, you know, just showing up everyday part that it's that part that counts. So I've always, to be honest, hated exercise. (laughs) until I started yoga and now my quiet morning yoga time in the living room alone is one of the favorite parts of my day I'm not saying yoga is for everyone I'm saying going for a walk in the neighborhood or in the woods after breakfast it might be more your style but the main point is just to move your body and observe and be present while doing so How does it feel, the ground under your feet, the sun on your skin? Because I really believe in that being present in your body, feeling sort of, I don't know, resetting yourself, (laughs) not just living in that social media world. I believe that's very good for all of us because that's where we're supposed to be. I mean, that's where it's natural for us to be. (laughs) Yeah, if that makes sense. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And 
many people, myself included, <laughs> tend to isolate when struggling. And I think this is especially the case for those on the introverted side of the scale, because being social just costs so much uh, that you cannot muster up the energy to do it. But I think that if you can manage on a good day to go see a friend, or it does make a huge, huge difference. And if you cannot, then call them instead, because we need people. Yeah, people need people. Even introverted people need people. Yes, we do. <laughs> Definitely. And the times we feel less like reaching out is often the times when we need them the most. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point. Do you feel like that could be kind of like the first step to solving your problems if you're struggling with something, if you're going through something difficult, is to reach out to a friend? Definitely. And that's definitely what I would recommend. Well, step one is do not beat yourself up about having a difficult time because that is normal or normal quotation marks. That's human. That is part of who we are. We have ups and downs, all of us, and stop beating yourself up about it and try to do something that helps instead. And something that helps can often be talking to someone else. It doesn't mean having you have to go out for coffee, but you can I mean call someone or chat with someone on, on Instagram if that's more your thing. It's less demanding because you don't have to like answer right away. You can think and then answer, which I love. <laughs> that's why I'm always slow at answering. <laughs> and that's okay too. I mean, what's this pressure that you have to sort of answer? Because it's written, you have to answer right away. You don't have to. You can take the time to think and yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. So what would you say, Tyril, if you had one thing you could recommend to someone if they were building a sustainable business, what would you say they should do? I've probably mentioned it already. <laughs> But I believe in sitting down or, or going away and giving yourself space to think and dream loudly. What do I want my business to be? What do I want my business to look like, to feel like? Instead of just accepting whatever comes your way and sort of just running after it, to actually allow yourself to create a business that you love and the life that you love. Yeah. That's really nice. I think that a lot of uh, photographers should take that advice to heart because it should be all about what we want and not what we see other people doing. So I think that's really, really important. Yeah, I just want to say thank you for having this talk with me. It's been really, really great. And I'm sure that whoever's listening wants to follow you and keep learning from you. So where should they go? I'm probably most active at my Instagram account, which is tiril underscore Hoan. I'm not going to spell it out because you'll be writing it in the show notes. <laughs> into the show notes. For those interested in learning from me, I will be launching a new version of my online photography course pretty soon. Ooh, nice. Uh, so I will be, of course, announcing it on Instagram. But if you really want to, um, Instagram is so unpredictable these days. So if you want to know for certain, And then the best way is to sign up to my newsletter, which uh, we will probably leave a link to in the show notes. Yes, we will do that. 
Perfect. We can also probably link to my webpage where there's a bunch of information with, yeah, yeah. about all the things I do. <laughs> I'll do that as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you. Great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Sustainable Photography. Head over to Instagram at Ingvild Kolnes to tell me what you want future episodes to be all about. Check out the show notes over at ingvildkolnes.com slash podcast. You can learn more about the Sustainable Photography Program and sign up for the waitlist there. To get more of this content, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Your support makes all the difference. Talk soon.